Welcome to another episode of No Thanks But Yes, chill conversations with splendid people. Non-monetized and unaffiliated, this Freedom From Addiction podcast celebrates the many faces, voices, and pathways of recovery from chaotic substance use. Yeah. <clears throat> it's oh. heinous. Well, thank you so much for joining me on No Thanks But Yes. Ryan, been at this for a minute, been holding off on asking you. Um, and I think now is the right time for the very reasons that we're talking about. You are uh, a leader in our organized advocacy space, um, actualizing what we've been talking about for 20 years, you know, this constituency of consequences, singing in harmony and marching in step, yet to happen, but I've high hopes for some of the work that you've been doing. Well, I've been super jealous to not have been on this show until now because I follow it um, and I see all of my peers who are on it and I'm like, hmm, I wonder what's going on. I'm like, is he mad at me? But you were just waiting for the moment. So I'm thrilled to be here and thrilled to to just call you a friend and and oh. and, and a colleague and mm. yeah, just a fellow organizer. And and I think one of the beauties of this work and our collective work is just being able to being able to meet and develop such meaningful relationships with people who don't just care about recovery and care about each other, but really care about like what is the trajectory that we're going down right now because um the trajectory of of the quote unquote recovery movement you know um does need to change um in certain respects i think there's there's principles and values that we all hold near and dear and and those will outlive all of us mm -hmm. but, um in terms of tactics in terms of priorities and in terms of of you know, what we're going to fight for. I think that that has changed substantially, yes. certainly since I got sober uh, in 2015. And, and, and it's been as a result of circumstances that we've been presented with and, and how are we going to deal with them? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The paradigm continues to shift, uh, but are we looking beyond the horizon? If I can mix up my figurative language there. Yeah. So, um, on this show, we introduce ourselves. So tell us who you are. Gosh, I am. Uh, I'm Ryan Hampton. Uh, first and foremost, I I like to be known as um, a husband. Mm. Got married to the the boy of my dreams a couple of weeks ago. Something I never thought was possible. So that's my primary identity. Uh, I'm a, a dog lover, uh, author. Um, I've been uh, fortunate, very fortunate and privileged enough to, to write two books. And I'm in the middle of, of writing my third, which is very different from the other two. Um, I'm an activist, an advocate, uh, an organizer. Um, you know, I truly believe in the power of the people uh, in, our, in our movement and in space. Uh, some who I wholeheartedly agree with, some that I don't agree with all the time. Um, but I believe that, that, you know, if we have any shot at ending, uh, overdose death, uh, in the United States, that it's going to be because of them. Um, mm. and I've made it, you know, my mission and my purpose, my passion, you know, since, since finding my own recovery journey, 
uh, in 2015 to, um, you know, uh, 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 make this as large of a tent as possible for them. Um, I think everybody has different, you know, uh, tools and experiences to bring to the table, um, but not everybody has the same opportunity um, to be platformed. And for whatever reason, you know, um, that did happen to me early on in, in my recovery. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I'm hopeful, you know, that I can deliver that to as many people as possible. You know, uh, who I am and, and what I do, you know, isn't as much defined by my own journey as it is in watching what's been happening around me to people I love and care about. Um, it's been maddening. And I think that it, it's changed, you know, my, certainly my perspective, my views, my values <laughs> um, have evolved uh, in the last eight years. Um, and I think that that's happened as a, as a direct result of me, you know, being able to like walk out on a ledge by myself and try and find my true center and, 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 you know, what I want to be fighting for. Mm. Uh, and what I've found is, is what I want to be fighting for isn't necessarily, you know, the most popular um, narrative all the time in the recovery space, but I truly believe it's the right narrative. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, when history is written about, you know, this, I, because I, I, I know we, we refer to it as like the new recovery advocacy movement, but I believe we're like in a new, new recovery <laughs> advocacy movement. And there will, be a, there will be a 3.0 and a 4.0 and a 5.0 of that. Um, you know, I, I think that history will look back and say that, that, you know, those of us that really stayed center to like what we truly believe in and our core values were right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I've recovery is, is certainly one of my primary identities. It's not my only identity. Um, okay. you know, I identify as, as a family member, as, as a gay man, as someone who cares very much about, um, you know, equitable healthcare rights and human rights and civil rights. And I care about animals and I care about protecting trans kids. And, you know, but I think that all of those values are certainly centered around um, my experience as a person in recovery, because my recovery is like afforded me the opportunity to be able to care about those things. So I think it is interconnected. Um, but uh, while it's certainly one of my primary identities, it's not my only identity. You, uh, you, you are describing a process of deepening and growing and changing and uh, my recovery and my convictions have, have been the same, but at the center has, has been a, a principle. Um, I too, um, it's not so much about my recovery. My recovery was... Um, had doses of dumb luck and privilege and then my fair share of hard work. But then when I right. became an addiction professional, started my career in an opioid treatment program in, in a dodgy area and uh, then moving into homeless services, I was like, oh my Lord, so yeah. many folks have so many barriers that I didn't face. Uh, so how do we go about prescribing these for well, you bring up like one of the like core things that like at least the last two years, like I feel like I bang my head up against a wall 
And like any person who calls themselves a, I don't even like to use it as much because it's so co-opted, but a recovery advocate or recovery. If you're also not a housing advocate and a, you know, advocate for people uh, who are unhoused an advocate for healthcare reform, you know, an advocate for civil rights, for human rights, for criminal justice reform, right? For, for, if you're not like an advocate in those spaces, you can't really be a full-on <laughs> recovery advocate because like those things matter like really those things are part of the journey of all of us like you like i was unhoused right i was i had no health care i couldn't access medicaid right like i mean like all of these things are like truly tied to like one's recovery journey so it's like how can we you know encompass like real big deal, huge societal problems, like income equity, right? Like, you right. know, the, the, the ability for someone to, you know, earn a reasonable wage at no matter what job you, you work, like these are all, this is all recovery capital stuff, right? Yeah. You know, um, yeah. you know, because people are like, no, those are too progressive or like, that's a Democrat issue. That's a Republican issue. No, 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 no. That's a recovery issue. Somebody doesn't make enough money to like live and feed their kids and, and they're living below the poverty line and they're working, you know, their tails off at an honest job. Like, you know, like, how do you expect them to be able to like pull themselves, you know, up from the bootstraps or whatever you say, but like equally as important, their family. Right. So we're like, we're not you know, transferring, you know, these, these problems, these issues onto another generation. Like, I mean, it's like common sense. It is. Well, <laughs> it ought to be, that's for sure. Uh, recovery advocacy is so much more than declaring one's recovery status and then saying, come get you some. It is recognizing the barriers, the very real systemic and policy and structural barriers that people face. And our individual role in them mm -hmm. having benefited from them oh i love it it uh, recovery led me to studying social work which deepened my understanding of social justice and and um it helped me become a, a more well-rounded recovery advocate so you say you're in recovery it's a part of your identity i too like to holler about husband father grandfather all that stuff i'm a, i'm a human three-dimensional yeah. three-dimensional bipedal weirdo but yeah. <laughs> recovery man what's what what is recovery to you everybody I mean, it's, it every day it change it's different for me i mean i wake up i mean every i don't want to gloss over this point because every single thing I am able to be today is because of my recovery, but my recovery, the, the started out, right. And it, it's changed, right. My recovery started out on February 2nd, 2015 of like, thank God I'm not drinking and, and, and chaotically using heroin anymore to a point where it was like, thank God I'm not using it anymore. You know, thank God I'm not using anymore to I'm sober to, you know, being able to be a, a grateful member of a 12 step fellowship to like finding gratitude in like the simple thing, like the simplest things of life for me, which was like a meal, 
a bed to sleep in. Right. And like, I have to bring myself back to that place often when I like lose sight or get into like a place of like mental frustration or not being grateful in my life. Cause gratitude's a huge part of my recovery, mm. but like it has evolved to a place where it's like my recovery means it, 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 it's, it, 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 it's pretty much, you know, everything. It's this process of like change that I get to go through that no longer is like, you know, it's because of my ability to like, you know, uh, find, you know, where, where my problematic relationship was with substances and like not being able to deal with trauma. And for me, I have, you know, I am abstinent, but that's because of my inability to have any sort of like relationship with a substance. And I recognize that, but I've also in my recovery been able to value and find, you know, relationships with people who do have a relationships with a relationship with some sort of substance or their type of substance, but it's not chaotic like mine. Right. And they live a recovery, their own recovery journey and being able to respect that has been like a part of this process of change for me. Right. Is like, I'm able to be comfortable with me and you at the same time. Right. And be able to be welcoming to both what's going inside of, inside of me, but also what's going on inside of you. Right. Um, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a funny, it, it's a funny question because I even feel like the, the SAMHSA definition is probably still quite accurate in terms of a process of change. Um, you know, but I have been able to look both inward and outward. And when I look outward, I see recovery happening with people who aren't, don't even have a relationship with substances, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that sometimes it's a term that's too closely associated with just abstinence and with just substance use disorder, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think there's a little bit of recovery going on in everyone. It's just like, how do you unlock, unlock the power of that recovery and let it shine within someone? you know, and like encourage it and like nurture it. Right. Um, cause I, I think every, every human on this planet could use a little bit of recovery somehow, you know, I'm with you. And, um, what I dig about the SAMHSA definition that, you know, they just didn't roll it out. It was stakeholder engagement, uh, over 10 years ago, and then revisited recently as well. When, when I teach communities about it, I say, what, what does this describe? And folks understand this basically describes human existence, you know, a process of wellness, self-efficacy, autonomy, right. self-actualization. It's yeah. what everybody's doing on this blue marble if they have the wherewithal and the yeah, freedom to do so. Connection, right? Like recovery for me is like bit, a huge part of it has been like really being able to be present for like meaningful human connection with people. I mean, that has, and community, right? Like those, those things have, have changed me, um, certainly for, for the better. And I've, I've only seen them change others for the better too. Um, I would like to mention though, that there's been this debate um, that you hear, you know, sometimes, uh, through individuals, a lot of it online about this effort to redefine recovery, that there's this, you know, uh, faction of the 
recovery movement trying to redefine recovery. Um, and that drives me crazy um, yeah. because I also feel that very, very uh, uh, strongly um, that if anyone is defining my recovery, they're the ones who are defined. They are trying to define recovery. They are. It's funny watching these uh, white fellows circle their defenses around this perceived notion that their definition of recovery is under assault. And every time I see, and there's a couple of fellows I have in mind who, who are kind of leading this discussion. I just, I, I kind of chuckle inside. I'm like, ain't nobody you know, coming I, for you, I, Todd. You know, last <laughs> night, like I went, I mean, this His name's not Todd. Dumbest, the right. dumbest analogy ever, but like, I have a thing for cheeseburgers. Like, I mean, like I love cheese, cheeseburgers with cheddar cheese and like grilled onions and all the fixings on it. But because I make my cheeseburger with grilled onions, chipotle mayo, cheddar cheese, gouda, I hate tomatoes, I don't like pickles. If you don't, if you want your cheeseburger, right, with peanut butter, gel, peanut butter and jelly on top of it, does that still not make it a cheeseburger? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's how I feel when we get into that debate. It's because I, like it. I have some other elements to something that I really enjoy and like and works for me, but you've got other elements, but like at the core of it, we still have a beef patty with some form of cheese on it. Like, are they still not cheeseburgers? Because that's how I feel sometimes when yeah. you get into this debate. I know that may sound stupid because it came up the top of my head, but that's how I feel sometimes. I, I can relate. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate too. It reminds me of the chili debate too, the Texas chili yeah. versus... Yeah. what no beans and uh, yeah. it's silly it's chilly be glad people are eating it mm -hmm. no right. I, di I dig the cheeseburger uh analogy it works for me yeah for sure i might use that in a presentation actually and actually like construct a cheeseburger with people like based on recovery anyway I, you know what Maybe we can do it together. Yeah, I think that'd be grand. It's like pie, right? I mean, it's kind of like pie. What kind of flavor pie do you like? But it's like, mm -hmm. you know, like key lime pie, rhubarb pie, still pie. It's still pie. <laughs> you know? oh. Well, I didn't, um, <clears throat> I don't know why I didn't know that you got into recovery in 2015. So you came on my radar in your first year of recovery for real. My goodness. How about them apples? I've been watching you uh, come up. Uh, wow. But that first year for me was really defining in the sense, not of like, what issues should I care about or what things should I be prioritizing? But it was defining for me to jump into the recovery space early and like the, the NGO space and you know, um, some of the policy, because I was like really angry at what was happening just at home mm. uh, in my recovery house and, and, and some of the circumstances around the hospital systems and, and how they were treating friends of mine. And so really diving in, but it was um, that year where like my mind kind of was just blown in seeing just the lack of political power or power or organizing power that we had because of how we were constructed, you know, because we were constructed, I believe. Like, I don't think like, you know, going into like personal recovery, 
I think that's a different story, but, but as like an organized recovery movement or movement around addiction and like ending overdose, we were definitely constructed. And there are elements of that construction that are still very valid and like essential to our existence, I think, because there's basic core principles that we can't do the other things without. But there was this missing piece of like, we need to build power locally or else nobody's going to listen to us. We can't just show up in a suit and tie, you know, to be a part of, you know, uh, recovery month proclamations or only show up when we're all in agreement because that's not how change happens. That's never how, that's like, that's like, that's like discounting, like, you know, history 101, right? Like it's, it's, it's as important, if not more important for us to show up when we disagree, Mm. you know, and to have the tactics and the tools to build power, to push up against forces that really have no interest in institutional change, you know, um, and to sometimes say the unpopular, but I, I saw this and I was like, oh my God, what do you mean we're like not registering? Cause I came from a political background prior to like chaotic heroin use and, you know, being unhoused and all the things that, that came with, you know, that, that nightmare part of, of my life story. Prior to that, I had organized politically in healthcare movements and labor movements and political campaigns and kind of understood what it, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the pounding of the pavement that it took to get some simple things done. And we just didn't have that, you know? Um, but there's, but that's not a knock on the movement. That's just, I think for me was, you know, in year two and year three and my history lessons that took place around where we came from and why we're at where we're at. Yeah. We just weren't there. I mean, yeah, we, that, weren't, that's we, where weren't, the movement we weren't ready was. for it. We didn't yep. have, you know, we didn't have the, the, the people primed. We didn't, we, we just, we were, we were, we are still new, you know what I mean? We yeah. are baby, you know, when it comes to, to where we need to be. Um, and so that's kind of where I like carved my, my spot out. And I can remember I had this idea. I was like, you know, one day I, I like, they were like, if you could accomplish one thing, like, what would it be? I was like, one day I'd love for us to be able to say, we registered 1 million voters, like who care about this issue. And I'd like us, and, and this was five years ago that I said this, and I was like, and I'd like us to do it from a spot of not bipartisan, but a nonpartisan fashion. And people mm. are like, well, that'll never happen. And um, we have certainly haven't gotten to a million voters, but I think we've registered 25, 26,000, you know, and and you know, 70,000 more or so that we're connecting with that are already registered to vote. And the whole bipartisan thing, people were like, or nonpartisan thing, people were like, that's kind of nuts, you know, because nothing's done nonpartisan uh, anymore, you know, in this country. And this was during the, you know, the, the Trump days and whatnot. And I think today in 2023, it's like the, the vision people had of why not nonpartisan wouldn't work. It's almost the reverse of why it is going to work because we are seeing horrid, as we were just talking about, legislation and policies coming from both parties. There is bipartisan unity around some really, really bad ideas, which makes it, I think it's, I think we're all certainly entitled 
and need to be able to pick our lane when it comes to, to what our political beliefs are, because that is an important fundamental constitutional right that every single American should practice. But I think when we look at substance use disorder and recovery, particularly still today, we need to look through it through a nonpartisan lens because both parties are sorely misunderstood on what we need to be doing right now. And there is a bipartisan effort to lead us back into draconian days that is going to have a generational impact. And folks are going to look back in 10 years and say, my God, did we get that wrong? How did we do that again? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I I hear what you're saying. And I I like how you describe the movement. You you weren't judging the movement. You were like, that's just where we were and where we are. And a lot of folks just uh, with disbelief that they're at the table. Oh my God, I'm at the table. Oh my God, I'm I'm wearing a recovery shirt out in public and stuff. So um, I think we're uh, we're becoming more and more emboldened and more enraged. You you uh, that was one of the uh, things you say. Her- where where's 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 the outrage? Where's the outrage? And I think the other thing too is like uh, when you talk about tables. Like, cause that's actually an analogy that's still like thrown in my face today. It's like, you don't respect or understand like the, the time it's taken to get to these tables. And sometimes I'm told like, we need to respect that and we need to, to not lose that spot. And <laughs> I do respect it, but I think, and I think a lot of us respect it. We respect it so much that we're willing to give it up, you know, um, and to give it up to, to, sometimes it's it's more effective to work from the outside and then work your way back in right and 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 i think we need to be okay with giving that spot up right because i think folks recognize that the problem that we deal with the 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 issue at hand is so big that like that spot will never be eliminated it's just we may need to vacate it for a short period of time while we go build something way bigger and more powerful than what's mm. been offered to us. Ominous. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, um, that's heavy. Tell us what you're doing right now. Oh, gosh. Well, uh, <laughs> just got married. <laughs> just close the books and get married, which is you know, married life is great. Um, we're, you know, we're continuing through Mobilize Recovery and Recovery Advocacy Project, two, you know, um, initiatives that I've been a part of and, and you know, help to, to, to organize and, and, you know, keep moving forward. Um, really several engagement opportunities in different states. Um, we've, we've taken a focus on like, how can we really build power on a state basis, local community basis? Um, and we've started to really yield some results and, and, and see kind of the fruits of like this grand social experiment that we decided to start kicking around back in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, though, I will say, even with a coalition that's got you know, um, you know, kind of leadership structure, bare bones, um, and some more than bare bones in, in about 40 states, um, you know, some larger than others. Um, the last several months, and I think probably for the foreseeable future, has been more putting out fires around uh, very harmful fentanyl, you know, specific legislation uh, that's been hitting state houses, 
I know there's been some effort by some organizations, some organizations to really address the issue at hand in Congress because some of this has, has popped up in Congress, but I am like ringing the bell. If there's never been a time to build state-based advocacy or local community-based advocacy and those, those infrastructures, um, now is the time because no matter what Congress does, I mean, we have dozens of state legislators and in, in, you know, 15, 20 states right now that are proposing some sort of fentanyl legislation that will decrease the amount of fentanyl that someone has, um, you know, that, that brings it back into felony possession level. Yeah. We saw it happen in Colorado last year. It's happening in my home state right now. It's happening in New Jersey. Um, it's happening in Virginia. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's all over the place, but it's bringing down possession to some uh, levels that don't even need a weight. It's like any weight. Um, you've got states like Arizona uh, that have proposals that want to offer death penalty for low levels that can be uh, definitely uh, intermingled with just personal use or people who use drugs, not necessarily for trafficking. You've got legislation in Nevada that wants to bring it down to four grams, a proposal by the Democratic Senate Majority Leader that will put someone in for a year of a one-year minimum mandatory, plus ding them with a felony. And I just spent Monday in, in testimony, like screaming at the top of my lungs. I'm like, well, okay, great. So you want to lock up all these people, you know, who are going to be caught with as much as, you know, uh, two, you know, sugar packets or four paper clips worth of fentanyl. Maybe, maybe they might be dealing it, you know, like, but are they like a trafficker? No. And someone with that low of a weight is typically person who uses drugs, who's not like your El Chapo or your cartel that you're going after. And okay, so Madam Majority Leader, let's say you get your way. You are going to incarcerate this person for one year minimum and give them a felony. What are you, what are, what are you accomplishing, <laughs> A? And where are they going to go when they get out? Because I certainly know they're not going to end up at your doorstep in your office in Carson City and that you're going to provide them services. No, you know where they're going to end up? They're going to end up at our doorstep at the RCO in Las Vegas and be dependent on us for providing services. And guess what? Maybe they're ready to like seek help. Maybe they need a job. Maybe they actually need to be housed. Oh my goodness. Felony. We're not going to be able to do any of that. You know why? Because you've also given them a felony. So what's yeah. going to happen? They're going to return more likely than not than chaotic use in a poison drug supply. And if we listen to or look at stats and data, we also know that that same individual is 40 times more likely to overdose and die. So what are we solving, right? There's like these eerie parallels to how we dealt with crack cocaine and powder yep. cocaine. Yep. And there's not really much intent by not all, but most policymakers to look back and say, what have we learned? Yep. Nothing clearly, Nothing. you know? So this I think should be a rallying call for family groups. Uh, this should be a rallying call for recovery advocates. This should be a rallying call for treatment providers you know, particularly any that are dependent on the Medicaid system, you know, I mean, th this, this is going to have generational, generational impact. Um, I am uh, terrified also because I'm seeing 
the addiction crisis, the overdose crisis, groups that typically have been, you know, not 100% unified, but more unified than not being pitted against each other. We're watching, um, you know, political factions um, use families and family advocates for, you know, alternative political agendas. You know, we're looking at uh, a, 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 a very popular narrative that if we shut down the border, if we shut down the US postal system, if we shut down social media, if we shut down, you know, immigrate, you know, folks coming in from China, that we can solve this crisis. Well, I mean, once yep. again, I mean, it's like looking at the title of my first book, American Fix. People ask, why did you call it American Fix? I was like, well, because like this, the way, you know, the way we got ourselves into this is uniquely American. And the way we deal with it is uniquely American. And I think the way we're dealing with fentanyl is uniquely American, which is blaming it on every other person, country, other than ourselves. And I think if we're ever going to get to a place of like, you know, real sane drug policy in this country, um, dealing with the, the catastrophic, heartbreaking, just awful crisis that we're currently in, in the wave of the overdose crisis, which is fentanyl, we need to look inward because this is more of a domestic policy issue, I believe, than it is a foreign policy issue. There are foreign policy elements to it. There are public safety elements to it. Sure. But unless we really start to look at our domestic policy and how we deal with drugs yeah. right, and overdose in this country, it is only going to get worse because we will put all of our, all of our chips on the table on fentanyl. And then it's going to be xylazine and then it's going to be the next thing. And it's just going to keep ballooning yeah. out of control until we start pointing at ourselves and say, we're the problem. We're it's the problem. not everything else. It's us. You know, you, um, you described a recovery advocate. If you're not about all these other issues, are you really a recovery advocate? And you've just described lawmakers and policymakers with a singular uh, focus and are are they really part of the solution and, and and they're not once again just focusing on fentanyl and not poverty not racism <laughs> yeah not health care and not justice and i mean there's just so many yep. pieces to it and um i do believe though that even those that aren't publicly in agreement and some of those that we might find ourselves arguing with from time to time on this, other recovery advocates, you spend enough time with someone and you actually, I think that a lot of folks who aren't very public about it, there are parts of that that they are in agreement with because it's hard not to be when you live in 2023. Mm. <laughs> it's just like, it's like you, you see you know, I mean, like I've, I've sat with like hardcore MAGA Republicans, some of them who will tell me Medicare for all is probably a good thing if, when it comes to, you know, ending the overdose crisis. Ryan, what, what does Ryan do for fun? What's oh my gosh. Do it. What do you, what, well, I'll tell you, what you create all this stuff, man. Tell us about the brighter side of your beautiful. Yeah, and that's all like in just the human wellness element, self care part of of my life, which is beautiful these days too. Um, <laughs> I love music. I don't play an instrument, but I love music, so I spend as much time attached to music as I can. 
um, whether it's live music, you know, headphones. I love my dog. Uh, my dog brings me a tremendous amount of joy. Uh, Quincy, um, Sean and I, you know, we, we love to, to travel um, when we can. We find it um, very freeing to be able to like step away and just be together. Um, and not, you know, cause we both work in the space. I think it's important for us to be able to like have separation. And we find that, um, when we're able to travel, we, we kind of leave the advocacy when we can at, at home and, and really be present for each other. Um, it is a beautiful time of year in Las Vegas, uh, it being spring. Um, I find a lot of joy in, um, uh, the, the garden, which is crazy. And people may not like see that, but we have, you know, we don't have grass, but we've got, you know, we've got a, what's called a desert garden. So there's a lot of rocks, but there's a lot of beautiful trees and flowers and plants. And, um, we have vines. So I find a lot of joy this time of year of like actually watching them come back to life and fertilizing and taking care of. Um, I find myself out there a couple times a day, uh, which, which gives me a lot of peace, uh, and a lot of joy, love food. Um, Sean is a great cook and we're constantly coming together with like new creations. Um, and I, I like, you know, spending time, you know, with him and the dog on the couch, finding a good Netflix series and like tuning out, um, not much into like extreme sports, um, or anything like that, you know, I'm pretty vanilla when it comes to that stuff, but, uh, <laughs> there's, there's simple things, honestly, that bring me, that don't cost any money that bring me a tremendous amount of joy in my life. Uh, you, you've described something very lovely and, and something my partner and I are, are now approaching our third decade together doing. So I got to tell you, it's sustainable, Ryan. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I ask everybody it. like it's like when you know when you're like new and recovering, like how'd you do it? And it's like since getting married, and somebody says to me the third decade, I'm like third decade. I'm like how'd you do it? How'd you do it? You know. <laughs> so do you have a final message for folks? Our lived experience, our tragedies, um, as while they are incredibly valid, and they are very important to like the fabric of who we are and why we're led to this work and why we do this work they are not an excuse to harm other people and 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 to give you an example throwing bad policy at someone or advocating for very harmful policy like being someone who has lived experience is not an excuse to do that right and it's not an answer like when I, when I ask someone or someone asks me like, and, and really wants to challenge you on, on, let's say some of this fentanyl legislation, like your personal story is not a good answer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like no. you really need to be showing up with good answers that are guided by science and data and history, right? Like I, I am sick and tired of like, stories while storytelling is so important in terms of raising the bar of awareness and lowering you know like the societal stigma and discrimination against us and people who use drugs and those who are impacted they're all they're not good policy solutions sometimes no. that makes sense and oh and it makes total sense it's 
it's one of my key presentations around strategic storytelling. You know, stories are a very important, have a very important role in moving the human heart, right? And moving people's feet to action, right? And bringing others to us and in, you know, this work that may not have otherwise given us a second look and creating allies. Like, I don't want to discount because I, I feel like the storytelling is an essential element to the practice of community organizing and policymaking. But stories alone are not solutions or no. answers. And they're certainly not defense or, or reasonable defense for bad policy. And I say that with a lot of caution because I know there's a lot of people who don't like to hear that, but it's just the truth because, you know, showing up and talking about, you know, the death of my best friend or uh, uh, whatnot is, is not a good excuse for pushing for criminalization um, of people who, you know, use substances or use drugs. And I think our policymakers hear these stories sometimes and get that emotional reaction um, from them, and it and it leads them to some very catastrophic decisions. Yeah, yeah, I faced that recently. Um, there was a social worker murdered uh, in Vermont, and an advocacy organization was simply putting that story out there and then saying we advocate for you know, solutions to keep social workers safe. And I had to pull them up and say, what solutions are you talking about? Because everyone in the thread was all fired up, angry. That's right. Let's yeah. go to DC. Let's do this. And I'm like, hold on now. Most of y'all's patients are not tax murderers. And right. we, have to, we make sure the solutions are effective yep. and, and make sure that they don't uh, stomp on the civil liberties of all of our other patients. So I, I feel you... We strike this emotional chord and it does, it's not an excuse for, it's well, there's not. There's gotta be this, there, there almost needs to be like a course in ethical storytelling too, um, you know, because I, I mean, you can't, it, it, you know, storytelling within your, your, um, your own personal like recovery network is, is important, but like it, it has to, like when you're talking in the public square, like you have to be intentional, you have to be ethical and you have to be very, you know, in line. It, look, if if you're if you want to go out and um, and use your story because it's within your core belief to talk about you know jailing people like us and 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 you know driving us into the ground and you know throwing away the key. That is your God given human constitutional right. It is prescribed to you. You know, um, uh, in many ways in this country. But when I show up to challenge you your response to me is not acceptable by just throwing your tragedy and your trauma in my face. That's it. That is it. Well, I'll tell you what, it has been a treat, brother. I can't wait to come to your neck of the woods real soon for something. I love it. And thank you. Uh, you know, thank you for, um, you know, there's been, I think there's been a change in all of us. I, I certainly have been able to, you know, while I, you know, I'm privileged enough to like sit in the center of a lot of stuff. I'm also on a bystander and, and on the sidelines of more stuff than not. And, and being a bystander and on the sidelines and see your evolution too, you know, I think is, has been fascinating and um, also very uh, encouraging to me. And, you know, I, being able to see, you know, where you have moved in, 
your ideology and, and in what you do and some of the decisions you've made, I think is given a lot of permission because you you definitely come uh, way before me and 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 um, being able to watch people that I've kind of grown up, you know, being around, be able to be freed um, has given me a lot of freedom to do what I do today. Um, so thank you. Beautiful. Well, that's a keeper. Thank you very much.